Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to have a national show on Sirius XM NBA Radio? We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 59 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into some fun stuff. Give me the siren. In lieu of March Madness really kicking off on Thursday night, what better way to honor one of the most wonderful sports times of the year than with a poem? Written as a parody of the famed Christmas poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. was the night before madness and threw out all the racket. All the people were frantic to fill out their bracket. The 68 teams were selected with care in the hopes that your favorites all would be there. The mascots were ready to cheer on with glee with visions of trophies that they all might see. And coaches in suits and I in my shorts with pencil in hand to see if I knew sports. When highlights were playing and onions was screamed, I raced to the Google to see what it meaned. Away to the YouTube, I scrolled in such fashion to see what Gus Johnson might scream with his passion. There would be just one winner, all others with loss. We'd hear one shining moment with Luther Van Ross. But when viewing my bracket, did upsets appear? What teams would prove busts or would instigate fear? With Cinderella's dreaming and bus in the mix, I knew in a moment I made the right picks. More no than Lunardi and visions of fame, I picked up my pencil and shouted by name. Now heels, now zags, now Jayhawks and cats. On devils, on cardinals, on mascots with hats. To the top of the region, to the final four, now win in advance and win even more. But from the back I heard such a clatter, and on the TV was a room full of chatter. There was talk of new stations, I thought, just in jest, but games would be played on True TV and TBS? I flipped through the channels and, after three years, was met with analysis to quiet our fears. On the screen there was Barkley, spitting out words, calling some teams in the tournament turds. There was Dickie V's passion and Kenny Smith's size and Seth Davis waiting to disprove all lies. Their opinions were honest, but nobody knew if what they were saying would even prove true. 
There was talk of some coaches and what they had done, the importance of how many titles they'd won. On Izzo, Patino, on Coach K and Cal. Now Roy, now Self, now Jay Wright, our pal. From Thursday through Sunday, we'll anxiously wait to see if our favorites can make the last eight. There'll be upsets and blowouts and really high score, perhaps teams going down in your final four. We'll be glued to the games, but no one's to blame for cheering on teams that you just learned their name. Our slates are now clean, in our picks we trust. Let's say a quick prayer, our brackets won't bust. So make your last tweaks, cross your fingers, you're right. Merry madness to all, and to all a good night. I'm John Lund, for Sports News, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to fill out more brackets. When we come back, we'll talk to a Sirius XM NBA radio host about life behind the microphone and some storylines around the league. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text into The Bridge. And this week, we want to know who will win this year's NCAA tournament and why. Well, despite the two feet of snow that winter storm Stella dropped in my town en route to ravaging much of the Northeast. Stella! (laughs) Stella! (laughs) And having to spend two nights in a hotel room near work because road conditions were undrivable, the bridge thankfully was able to remain in production. Before the storm hit, we had the chance to chat with Justin Termini. He is the host of NBA Today on Sirius XM NBA Radio, Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We had been talking about getting together for a show for several months, and we're finally able to make that happen. Selection Sunday be damned. Justin will talk about how he ended up in radio, getting to Sirius XM and the NBA channel, and also rants a little bit about the current state of of the NBA. You can follow him on Twitter at Termini Radio, but spell that like Termine, T-E-R-M-I-N-E, radio. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Justin Termini. He is the host of NBA Today on Sirius XM, NBA Radio, Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Justin, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you? Well, we had Patrick on last week. He's had a couple of the other guys from Sirius on in the past, so I'm happy to get my opportunity to hop on with you, John, and do the spot. It's more than the right time. As we mentioned before coming on here, we've been talking about this for several months. Selection Sunday be damned. We're going to talk about what life is like on NBA radio. And before getting into that radio life, what's happening in NBA, to get started here just to maybe break the ice a little bit, since you get to do so many interviews with the slew of stars when you're working all-star games or the draft or playoff games or the finals, who would you say is the most famous person in your phone or someone that you know you could get onto your show with maybe a couple phone calls? Well, he's not the most famous person, but uh, he should be uh, He should be famous, and he, he would be famous if he played today, and that's Rick Barry. So I'll do it based on the, the greatest player that's in my phone, uh, and, and that would definitely be Rick Barry, a guy in my estimation is one of the top 15 to 20 players in the history of the sport and a guy not to name drop. And I say this every time around my birthday, but I say it just to prove what type of guy Rick Barry is, because I'm sure as a sports fan, you know, the reputation that he's uh, he's earned over the course of the last 50 or 40 years since he's been in the public eye. And that's a guy that's surly and he, you know, he's not a good guy. And you read Bill Simmons book. He's referred to him as, as a prick multiple times in that book. And that 
not going to be the furthest from the case. Every year on my birthday, Rick Barry calls me up. Uh, at times, he'll send me uh, gifts. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, he sent me a bunch of CDs of music that he knows I like, and he did a bunch of artwork on it. So uh, Rick Barry is the best basketball player on my phone. Again, one of the 15 to 20 best players in my estimation in the history of the sport. Uh, and, uh, you know, just a guy that I love. Now, there's a video floating around YouTube of you taking to the free throw line after DeAndre Jordan, I believe, went six for 17 in a game just to see how you would fare as well. And you did end up beating him. Do you think Rick could ever take you out into the free throw line and show him the way he shoots free throws? Maybe increase that percentage a little bit. Oh, Rick would kick my ass. I did good enough to beat DeAndre Jordan. In all fairness to me, there was a couple of factors working against me. One, I haven't picked up a basketball in multiple years when I took those shots. Two, is I'm shooting outside of New York City and there's wind, uh, and I still beat DeAndre Jordan. Uh, with Rick, uh, you know, Rick's, you know, arguably the greatest free throw shooter in the history of the sport. And once he switched to the underhanded format, uh, he shot well above 90%. In fact, there's a funny story. One of the funniest stories I've had on air. Uh, since I've moved to NBA radio, and it's become a little bit more watered down, the content you know, can't be as inappropriate as your back when I was doing Mad Dog and some of the other stations like working with Patrick Maher. But Rick, uh, I brought him on air after LeBron James airballed a free throw. And I said, Rick, uh, had you ever in your career airballed a free throw? And Rick, you know, in his unpolitical correct self, uh, shoots out. No, you want to know why I never, I know I never airballed a free throw. It's because if I airballed a free throw, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I would have immediately slit my wrists. So uh, that, that led to quite a good laugh. That's fantastic. Well, if anything, maybe you can hold the camera and get him out there just to prove that he still has it. If that's ever something that people might disagree with. I know well, his son is commercial. doing too. Right. I don't know if you saw this commercial that he's in. I saw it the other day. It's a new commercial about maybe life, life insurance or something like that. And they actually got him out there shooting free throws. So he could still do it even at his age. And it's nice to see that even some players now in college basketball are taking that method up and shooting quite well doing it. So maybe that'll be something that can kind of keep going on and that legacy will go as we move forward let me wind back the clocks a little bit to start I know you grew up in Connecticut when you were in high school what gave you the inspiration to want to start broadcasting the high school games and get into that realm of media yeah, well, I ran my mouth too much to play for the basketball team, so I played the first couple of years uh, for the team, and I would always get in trouble for mouthing off at the coach. So I knew it had to be something where I was talking. Uh, if uh, you know, And it had to be something basketball-related, and I sort of just lucked into the fact that I came to Sirius at the perfect time, and an NBA radio spot on there uh, opened up, because ever since I can remember, I mean, it was my first love, uh, the sport of basketball. And my father was a, a disc jockey when I was a kid as well, and he had to give it up uh, based on the fact that he had me and it was just not a lifestyle that you could make enough money and and support a family so you know his passion was always the disc jockey and the radio and the oldies music uh and my passion was sports so i sort of was able to combine the two i got involved with public access television i started broadcasting games as a junior and a senior uh in high school uh at Xavier high school in middletown connecticut uh and you know that's where i first kind of fell in love with uh with doing that and then took it right into college all the way through to college and, you know, right, right through to Syria. So, uh, yeah, it began in high school where I, I knew that I, I, needed to, I needed to do something basketball-related and sports-related, even though my athletic career was coming to an end. And then once graduating college, you kind of ended up as most people do in a way when they graduate college and don't have to go to law school or to go and get their master's or have that sort of plan where you have this degree, now what do you do with it? And I know you had to start in the New England area kind of going through those radio jobs that weren't paying a lot of money and, and really just struggling to have your voice heard before you can make something big. Was there ever a point in that time period before leading up to Sirius that you were at your lowest, maybe thinking that this wouldn't be something that would end up working out for you? Yeah, I mean, I was doing sales, so I, I was doing two shows. I was doing one in Manchester, New Hampshire, and I was doing another one in a small town called Taunton, Massachusetts, and, and they were sort of on, you know, separate, and probably about three-hour distance, so I lived in the middle of both of those places, and three days a week, four days a week, I'd go up to one, and then two or three days a week, I'd go down to the other one, uh, and uh, so I was living right around Boston. I'd travel up to Man Manchester, Manchester for a couple of days, and I'd go to Taunton, 
on the other day, and I, I wasn't getting any money up front, so it was all earned through doing sales, and sales is not something, uh, when you're thinking about getting into broadcasting, that you think you're going to have to do. I absolutely hated approaching people and asking for money, uh, and then I ended up working for a couple of shady bosses, so even when I would make a sale, uh, they would try and short me a couple of dollars as far as, as far as money was concerned, and I was losing tons of money. Uh, and here I was busting my butt, and the easiest part of my day was actually going on the air and broadcasting for two or three hours to nobody. I mean, nobody was listening to the station. I'm trying to sell all these different ads for a station nobody's listening to. I'm making no money. I'm essentially wasting all the money that I earned in college doing small jobs like working in factories and uh, and working in warehouses. So one day I'm just sitting there making some some calls, trying to sell stuff, and I'm like, you know what? This is this is a mess. This is a joke. I quit. I left that job. I sort of reevaluated things before moving to New York City, moving in with my uncle, living in his basement and kicking things off at Sirius that way. How did you end up into Sirius and start getting your voice heard doing the update anchor role with the NBA before they moved away from that? But at least your foot was in the door to kind of get started. Well, it's funny. So I got an interview to go to Sirius initially and to do background. Uh, background stuff and, you know, some board operating work and some producing work. Uh, so I'm sitting there doing that. And there's a lot of people behind the scenes that, uh, that do that. And, uh, you know, it's not something I wanted to make a long career of in, in that facet. I wanted to be on air. So the guy that hired me told me that, uh, there was absolutely no way that I was going to get on air. He didn't want me to ask about getting on air. Uh, and I, I was to not approach him about that. Uh, so I'm sitting there for a couple of months doing stuff behind the scenes. He gets fired. They bring in a new guy whose name is Matt Deutsch, and he eventually is going on to run the fantasy station. I tell Matt this all the time, so I'm not uh, afraid to, to share this. Matt comes in, introduces himself, and I, I tell Matt, I go, I'm devastated because the guy that just got fired had promised me that I'd have an opportunity to go on air. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he said things would work out just to bide my time. So now you're in charge, so I'm hoping that you'll put me on air one day. And Matt, you know, being the guy that he is, very nice, uh, says, oh, yes, 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 we'll, we'll definitely do that in the future. That sort of gets forgot about for a little while. But I make another connection uh, in the name of Patrick Maher, a guy that you interviewed last week and currently hosts uh, one of the evening shows on Mad Dog Radio, The Wrap. Uh, and Patrick was working behind the scenes, but that was only to – uh, that was only to save time and, and have him do something until he was to be put on air for a, a station called Maxim Radio or Cosmo Radio. Uh, and I met Patrick. I didn't know who he was and what role he played at the station. Uh, so we got to BSing and developed a good relationship. And Patrick passed my audio disc along to some higher-ups at Sirius. Uh, they, they ended up utilizing Somebody got sick. The day after Patrick handed them my disc, they gave me an opportunity, and I uh, really were nice because I struggled at the beginning. I had a lot of nerves. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, I had never done updates before. I had only hosted, so it was a it was a different feel, and it's something where they just noticed a little town. I thank him for this to this day, and they said, "Well, he's struggling now, but." But we'll keep him on board because I, I guess we see a, a little potential in him. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's paid off, I'd like to think, for not only myself, but for them. Patrick had mentioned something about Lockjaw. Is that something that you had to deal with while you were in the early goings of radio? Well, I, I still have it, so it, you know, it, it affects you a little bit uh, during broadcasting. It can also affect you with females as well uh, once you start to get intimate. So, it's yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> it's an issue that I've had dated back to when I was a, a kid. It's improved a little bit, but uh, what happens is I get so stressed out, I guess I get some stress issues, uh, that at night I clench my jaw. I've worn different devices in order to, uh, to try and uh, prevent it or uh, to at least contain it from getting as bad as it as it gets and it's improved recently but uh, yeah it's it's something where the jaw locks up every now and again he had also mentioned dealing with the female aspect of radio which he knows far too much about from those many years working with cosmo was there a segment that you guys used to do or a brief thing mentioned called jt and the hotties where maybe he would try to get a girl on air or make something work yeah, in that yeah. aspect yeah, so they were. Uh, they, it was called JT and the Hottie, and it was done every Friday in a short-lived program that Patrick and I had. We had a show for about four months. 
Uh, and then the MBA came along with a bigger opportunity. Uh, so I took that. In fact, I was working both jobs at one point because the Patrick show was in the morning called Patrick and Germany. And then later at night, it was the, the MBA programming. But there was a, too much of a conflict of interest uh, just because being associated with the MBA, they didn't want me also associated with adult actresses and the, and the type of programming that we were doing. So what happened is each Friday, you bring in an adult performer uh, and, uh, and and we would we would hold conversations. And I would ask them for tips, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we'd eventually sometimes go out on dates and then come in a couple of days later and recap uh, how the date went. And, uh, you know, it was very entertaining. It led to some great experiences. And it's actually something where uh, one of them contacted me uh, just a couple of days ago, a young lady by the name of Phoenix Marie, uh, who's rather uh, famous in that uh, in that field. She contacted me to help her out with her bracket. So I'm going to be helping her out with the bracket that she's doing uh, for an adult website. Uh, uh, so we'll see if I, I told her if I get, uh, you know, if I do pretty well on this, I expect to be compensated. Somehow. I can't blame you for that. Is there a good piece of advice that one of them had given you or that you have learned from doing that that maybe you could share for the listeners that might need some help in that realm? Uh, just to be honest, I, I mean, I remember going out with, uh, with Phoenix one night and I, I went out with about 10 or 12 of them. And I will tell you that it's shocking because they, they're, a lot of them are smart. Some of them worked on Wall Street, quit their job in order to go into that field. Another one worked at pharmaceuticals, quit that job in order to go into that field. And then you'd also assume that they didn't have relationships with their uh, with their folks, with their parents. They're all very close with their parents outside of one that I went out with that uh, her folks were ministers and they completely cut her off. But everybody else was very it was so it was stunning that they were so intelligent uh, and that they were uh, and they were rather close with their families. But the advice that I received when I went out there is I'm talking about how miserable my life is. I you know my job's not as good as it seems. I got to work nights and weekends. Uh, you know the money isn't as good as as you'd like it to be. Uh, you know I have a car. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I can't stay in shape, et cetera, just complaining a lot, which is, you know, that's refreshing because most of the time guys are just telling me everything they can provide for me and the baby, you know, I could do this for you, I could do that. So they said, you know, she, she's telling me, you know, just continue to be honest. So if you want to pick up a uh, adult performer or a really attractive girl, I guess that would be uh, the advice that I've got straight from the mouth of one is, uh, uh, is, is tell them your, your flaws, open up to them and uh, maybe you have some success that way. Excellent. And all these experiences and the things that you had to do early on in the radio game eventually lead to you getting the Justin Termini show. That probably had a nice ring to it. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah. I mean, we called it the Justin. Everybody calls stuff shows. So I would go with program. Uh, so it was the Justin Termini program, the Justin Termini radio program. Uh, and we did that on Saturdays and Sundays. And again, that was through a lot of hard work after, you know, fighting and clawing and doing updates for years and uh, and doing fill-in shows uh, during the week and fill-in shows during the weekend. And then finally, I had the opportunity to do uh, shows on, on Saturday and Sunday and uh, and then fill-in during the week. And that was just a dream come true. I mean, working in New York City, right in the heart of da- uh, Midtown, right across from Rockefeller Center, uh, you've got a show with your own name on it. And then on Sirius, you know how uh, it'll scroll across. So it's just not your voice. It's actually your name scrolling across. And yeah, you know, it was it was definitely uh, you know a proud moment to uh, to finally crack in and be able to do that and put my my own stamp on my own show. When getting to NBA radio, and I know this is still the case today, you've been involved with several former players as your co-hosts. Was it challenging in the beginning, or maybe it still even is, to develop relationships with them and grow a sense of confidence so you might be able to refute something that they might say and have a back and forth with them? Yeah, I mean, I, I really it, it worked fast with most of the guys that I worked with. I, everybody's got a different personality, and I worked with so many different ones. I got Mike Dunleavy Sr., who's a little bit more measured in the way that he would approach things and very professional. Then there's Mateen Cleaves, who's very goofy. Uh, there's Sam Mitchell, who I, I worked with right from the start, got along with Gray, who, uh, you know, right upon working with him, it's screw you and F this and F that, you jerk. I mean, without even introducing himself, and, and that just helped us click right from the start. Uh, Rick Mahorn, I worked with. He's much like that as well. Uh, you know, a lot of locker room talk. And as long as you, as long as you like, act like you belong and you hold them accountable and you fire back, I think they respect that a little bit more. Right now, I'm working with Eddie Johnson. It's about three years that we've been working together, uh, and we're at the point where. Uh, you know, he, I obviously didn't play. He played for 19 years, uh, but I think he respects my opinion on, 
uh, on, on the subject matter. He knows I put in the work, and, and that's all that matters. As long as I'm helping them make uh, money, uh, and I think I'm doing that by accentuating their strengths and putting on a good radio program, I think you're going to earn their respect. And uh, I, Again, I think that's one of the special parts about our show right now is you can tell that there's a connection, there's a camaraderie, uh, that uh, you know there's, there's a respect, and there's also you know, the ability for us to go back and forth. And I think that legitimatizes my opinion when I can say something and Eddie's there to, to sort of back it up and, uh, you know, and show support for me. Right. I wanted to get into that just briefly because I know if you were to read what the internet trolls might have to say or detractors that might call in and say that you don't necessarily have a right to hold an opinion or argue with those guys because they played and you didn't, what would you say the best counterpoint for them is? Because you have been doing this a very long time and tend to know your stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, listen, that doesn't affect me really at all. Uh, uh, for some reason, the criticism has, has never gotten to me. Uh, I understand that there's, you know, there's going to be jealousy out there uh, in regards to the position that I hold, and that ultimately people are going to want to side with the side with the player. But really, it has to do with if I say something positive about. You know, the Golden State Warriors, the Golden State Warrior fans are going to love me. If I say something negative about the Cavaliers, the Cavalier fans are, are going to despise me. Uh, so, you know, really, it, it just doesn't affect me. I know that I know my stuff. It'd be different if I wasn't confident in what I was doing. Uh, but I'm sitting here watching games six hours a night. I'm going to do that immediately after we get off the, uh, the phone tonight. I'm doing my reading. And you just got to be careful that you don't make a mistake. If you make a mistake, uh, then they can they can hold you accountable. So the, the best part and the best advice I can give anybody is just make sure you know your stuff because you slip up once, that's what people are going to remember. And I've, I've made mistakes before, and first impression, that's it. You don't get a second chance. The person's I, I look at people on the air all the time that I see make a mistake, and even if it's a very small one, it's something that you know, 10, 15 years later, I say, no, that's the guy that screwed up. That's the guy that messed up. He has no credibility. So you just got to make sure you know what you're talking about, and I think I do a pretty good job in that regard. You mentioned working with Eddie Johnson. I guess we should clarify Eddie A. Johnson. So we get that middle name distinction yeah, there's, in there. There's a couple of different Eddie right. Johnsons out there. There's one that got a little legal uh, issues a couple of years ago. And then there's this one who, it wouldn't surprise me if he got into some legal issues. He's a nut job. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I think it makes for a good show. Right. He's the one that retired with the most points off the bench in league history at, upon his retirement. So definitely a successful career and wanted to make sure that the NBA fans knew who we were speaking about. You've gotten into your fair share of arguments on air and off, of course. Some are so heated, they'll carry over into Twitter, and it's often very humorous for us just to watch the back and forth. Through all the debates that you've had, which one has he been the most wrong about and you've been the most right? Oh, this is very easy. And this is one, like you said, it carries over often. And people often ask, is it real? Like the, the stuff that you guys are yelling about on the air, does it carry over after? And the fights are five times worse off the air than they are on the air because off the air, the language doesn't matter. Uh, you know that, you know, people can't hear it. It's another language, but the, just the level of the screaming goes up as well because you don't have to worry about the quality of radio. Uh, and not only does it carry over into the breaks, it carries over into, we'll go to the finals, and this is this is the subject that I'll bring up that he's the most wrong on. We ended up debating this for months last year, and it carried over into the finals where we were out of the bar, and people in the bar got involved, and it turned into a massive argument with people just, you know, 15, 20 people sitting there around and myself, taking sides in this. But this is the one where I think he was the most wrong. Uh, the day that Prince died, uh, and it led to a just funny because it's so inappropriate at the time. Prince passes away, and Eddie's doing a read. And while he's reading, you know, if you want more information on Prince's death, you go over to you know the music channel, the news channel, etc. And then he goes, you know, this is just as big as Michael Jackson's death. I said, well, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to downgrade the accomplishments of Prince, and especially on the day that he's died, Eddie. But he's not Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's at a at a different level here. I mean, Michael Jackson's a world icon, uh, the most famous person in our lifetimes. Nobody's been more famous. Not Michael Jordan. Nobody. Nobody's been more famous than Michael Jackson in our lifetime. And that includes Michael Jordan. There's just absolutely nobody. No pope, no president, no world leader, no one. Most famous person in our lifetime. And Eddie tried to say that Prince was on his level. I said, Prince is big. 
And Prince might even be just as talented. I don't know much uh, enough about Prince, but he is not Michael Jackson, Eddie. Michael Jackson is the most famous entertainer in the history of, you know, of our knowledge. And uh, that turned into a massive fight the day that Prince died, so it makes it sound like I'm besmirching Prince on the day that he's died. And this argument carried over. It's still an argument where if somebody brings it up, it turns into an absolute mess. It's one of those things where I just can't wrap my mind around it. And there's been several basketball fights. Uh, there's been fights over language, lifestyle, etc., religion, politics. Nothing has has been as heated or carried on as long as Michael Jackson versus Prince. And it's still something to this day. I just don't understand how anyone can think that Prince is in the same stratosphere as Michael Jackson. He's not. So there might be a time where we're listening to your show on NBA radio and you're having a Mike and the Mad Dog-esque argument behind the scenes where you guys might not even be talking to each other within the break or outside of the show. Uh, well, normally it's where we are talking to each other. I guess you would say when we're really upset is when there's just dead silence in between the breaks, which has happened on occasion. Uh, but for the most part, it's actual screaming during the breaks. Uh, and I feel bad for my producer, Shane Conley. And that might be an actual guy that you should get on uh, for a future show uh, because he's got the behind the scenes details and he'll be sitting there uh, and he takes the brunt of it because I end up screaming at him. Eddie and I are in different locations. So Eddie broadcasts out from Phoenix. I broadcast from New York City. I'll hit my microphone on mute while Eddie's talking sometimes during the show and I'll end up screaming at Shane, uh, who's our producer. I will throw stuff. I one time uh, threw, a, I picked up a, a clump of paper. I didn't realize my phone was underneath it, and I chucked it at him, and it just missed his head and went against the wall. Uh, so there's been several blow-ups that, you know, he gets very stressed out. I feel bad. As a matter of fact, uh, several times throughout the last three years while Shane's been my producer, I've had to go out and purchase some stuff from the NBA store or just other, other venues. I just spent hundreds of dollars on them gift certificates for meals because I feel so bad after the show on how I treated him, uh, especially with the salary that he's pulling. I just feel horrible uh, because I'm treating him like he's, uh, you know, an animal, like a dog because I'm getting so, you know, because you, you get worked up just like a basketball player gets worked up for a game. You're putting so much emotion into the show. You want it to go well. And if something goes wrong, you got to take it out on somebody. Uh, so it's it's just an interesting dynamic. As long as he's compensated, I'm sure he'll let it slide afterward <laughs> after a couple of days. I know you've been covering the NBA for a very long time, so this might not be the case maybe now for some of the current stars in the league, but has there been a player or a coach that you maybe were the most nervous about to interview? Uh, for some reason, I've, I've never been, I've been nervous for shows before and, and not recently, but when I first started, I, I would get nervous if I was doing a show and, and good nervous energy. Uh, but as far as interviewing anybody, I just, for some reason, that's not something that, uh, that, that gets, you know, that gets me on edge. Uh, you know, I would say that the, the biggest guy that I've interviewed as far as, uh, how I looked up to them, and I would have pinched myself if I was a kid, was having the opportunity to interview Larry Bird uh, at the draft lottery several years ago. Uh, so I, I interviewed him. That was absolutely fantastic. It's, it's something that I never would have envisioned doing as a kid, one of those pinch me moments. Uh, as far as noteworthy interviews, uh, you know, interviewed David Stern one time, one-on-one, -on -one, he got on my case. And uh, even then, if I had gotten nervous during that interview, it would have, would have fallen flat because he, he gave me a hard time and I had to be ready to fire back and that was that was right when i broke into things and covered my first all-star game it was face to face in 2012 down in orlando uh and uh you know it's 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 one that i was maybe a little bit on edge for but uh uh you know i think if you're prepared uh then you're never going to be nervous the only times i'm ever nervous is is if i'm not prepared and i and i'm always prepared i think you can say a lot of things about me uh, you know, maybe in a negative fashion, maybe I lose my cool too much on air. Uh, maybe I, I yell too much on air, uh, but I don't, I, I allow my fandom to come through maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but I think one thing you, you gotta respect, I would hope the listener would respect is I'm always prepared. And if you're prepared, you're not going to be nervous. Your show now might be a little bit easier in getting prepared for than it was years ago since you've been in this business for so long, but the grind remains the same when you're doing something like this, especially as you work higher, people expect more from you. Is there something from your show, an aspect maybe, that you're most excited about every day to get to do a Monday through Friday show and bring to the table when your show is on? 
No, I mean, it's just making sure that I give my opinion. I got to this to give my opinion. And my favorite part is the opening 20 minutes. Uh, like most of my preparation is just for that opening 20 minutes. I would so let's say I prepare. I don't even know. I, I can't put time on it just because it seems like it's something that happens all day long from right when I get off the air and watch the games until I hit the air. I get a little workout in uh, just so I feel better and it gives me energy for the shows. But I would say that first 20 minutes that you're preparing eight hours a day, nine hours a day just for that opening 20 minutes uh, because that sets the tone for the program. And it's stuff that I'm talking about that I'm the most passionate about. And I here's the way I look at it. People say you should think about what the listener wants to hear, etc. That's not how I think of it, you know, and maybe that's selfish and maybe that's not the right way to approach it. I think about, well, what am I passionate about? Because that is, I can make whatever I'm passionate about listenable. Uh, so my favorite thing is just taking that one thing that I'm passionate about. And, you know, I still have that love for sports. So I think I can find something like that every day. I have never had an issue finding something I'm passionate, at least one thing I'm passionate about that's transpired from the night before or earlier in that day. And just hitting the air with that that one topic and, and making sure the listener feels how, how much it matters to me. And that's my favorite part. It's just going on first 20 minutes and unleashing on something that I've been thinking about for maybe 24 hours. Is there a favorite era of the NBA that you enjoy talking about the most, whether that's now or getting a chance to look back at some of the different generations that we've been able to have in the sport? Yeah, I think it's it's if people listen to the show, I think that they would say 1980s is something that I bring up all the time. And I'd love to give credit to the guys from the 1960s, the Bill Russells, the Oscar Robertsons, the Jerry West, uh, guys that get overlooked like a Bob Pettit, uh, who deserves a lot more credit, uh, and uh, and talk about that a lot. I can go to the 70s, and I'm passionate about just going back and learning about the history of the game. And of course, I think what everybody does, and this is why Michael Jordan is beloved in in today's society, is people love the the game from when they were kids. I think the game in the 80s are the best because that's that's when I fell in love with the sport with the Magics and the Birds and the Isaiahs and the Charles Barkleys and the Dr. J's and the Moses Malones and so on and so forth and I think that's the deepest era in the sport. I think it had the best teams, it had the best storylines, the best rivalries, it had three of the top five players in the history of the sport all playing at the same time with Magic and Kareem and Bird and then if you want to throw a fourth in in Jordan when he comes along in 84, you got four of the top five players in my estimation in the history of the sport and you know, the rivalries were so good with the, the passion, the dislike for each other. Uh, you know, I think it was the golden era for the sport. I talked to Jerry West at one point, who really has no connection and no reason to say the 80s were the best. He played in the 60s and the 70s. He's played a major role in uh, constructing teams in the 2000s that have won championships. But even Jerry says 1980s were the best for the sport. And that's really what built the sport into a billion-dollar industry is, is the perfect timing of having Bird and Magic come along at the same time, having one in Boston, having one in Los Angeles, cultivating that rivalry, just the, the separate personalities, uh, the separate style of plays between the two teams. So uh, if I have to point to one era where I think it's not only the most exciting to watch, but also the best era as far as competitiveness and talent, I would say the 1980s. Before I try and bring a little bit of that passion out of you for today's NBA and some of the things we have going on, we did get a couple of submitted questions for the show. Five-star foul, J.P. Wilson, 1982, wanted to know, what was the best and worst part of being a part of the Mad Dog Sports Radio family? Uh, the best part was uh, you know, just having the ability to say whatever you want. The best part about, about Mad Dog Radio, and really serious at a whole, uh, is nobody tries to, to tell you what you can and can't talk about. Uh, there was uh, a case where uh, I'm very passionate against Michael Vick. I would go on the air and I would say, listen, society will be better once this guy is, is six feet underground. And I would root for him openly to get paralyzed on the field and never walk again. Uh, and not one per and I would do the same thing with Pac-Man Jones, who's responsible for somebody getting paralyzed. Uh, and nobody in Sirius would tell me I couldn't make those type of statements. They uh, they gave me permission to continue doing what I was doing. That one time was I pulled aside and said, you've gone over the line. So they allowed you to go on and talk about what you were passionate about uh, and construct your own show. Nobody ever got on my case. Uh, so I love the freedom that they uh, that they allowed me. Uh, I recall 
one time where we had somebody from EA Sports on because they were going to put Vic on a cover uh, for 15 minutes. I challenged them. I ripped them apart. I tore them to shreds. They wrote a letter to uh, the head of the sports department saying that what I did was inappropriate. That boss handed me the letter. I read it on air. They contacted again the boss, gave him another email. He gave me that email again. I read it on the air, so I continued to attack EA Sports, all with the support of my boss who knew what was going on with a potential advertiser down the line. So uh, so that was just fantastic, and I miss it so much having moved over to uh, NBA Radio. Even though I love NBA Radio and the opportunities it affords me to cover all-star games and to, uh, to cover the NBA Finals, and it's my favorite sport, and just cultivate relationships with former players and current players, which I've been able to do. What I miss the most about Mad Dog Radio uh, is that. Uh, I would say the, the worst part about Mad Dog Radio was just trying to prove myself at the outset uh, when you've got established guys coming in like Chris Russo and Steve Torrey who don't know you from a hole in the wall, uh, and you've got the confidence in your ability, but they don't know you, and they're not going to trust a, a young kid to, to go in there, because I was, what, 24, 25 when they came along, and I'm listening to people that I felt that I was more talented than uh, get opportunities before me, and I felt that I was working harder, uh, so just trying to prove that I deserved more airtime during that initial era when Mad Dog Radio came up, uh, I think was the most difficult part, and here's another difficult part, which I think ultimately ended up helping me and gives me an edge over other people in the industry who maybe go to a more established station, is they've already got a built-in audience. We sort of built Mad Dog Radio from the, uh, from the ground floor up, and I was hosting shows during the initial days where we weren't getting telephone calls because you were still trying to uh, make the product known. I'd host six, seven-hour shows where we didn't have updating on staff, where we weren't getting any telephone calls, and it's not terrestrial radio, so you've got limited amount of breaks. There's very few breaks. Maybe you're talking 50 minutes uh, an hour, 52 minutes an hour. Uh, and I would go six, seven hours uh, at times because of the short staff uh, with just talking to myself and learning how to talk to myself for seven consecutive hours without being able to rely on an update anchor, without being able to rely on telephone calls or, or even guests. I didn't put many guests on. Uh, so I think that helped me to, uh, to be able to, to do what I do today a little bit more confidently. See, I thought you were going to say the worst part might be how you were portrayed and are portrayed on mad dog sports radios morning men program when i know they just had you on recently during the all-star break you're deathly ill they go a little back and forth with you to have some fun asking you questions that you had asked people previously so you were hearing your own voice as the person asking questions yeah they do their impression of you as well where they make that voice and mumble so that's really been how you've been portrayed on the morning men I don't know if there's a good way to feel about that. I, I don't know if maybe no, you should I, let the I'm, fouls I'm, know how you really are. Yeah, well, I'm honored. I mean, who wouldn't be honored that uh, that they can give you a ribbing? I mean, like I was saying, I give a lot of a hard time to a lot of people, but I don't do it to people I don't like. Uh, so I, I think that's a form of flattery to walk around the offices and get out, you know, all the bosses mocking you and mimicking you. Uh, you know, I think it says that they're, they're maybe comfortable with me. I, I Self-deprecation to me is the most important part of radio. Being honest and self-deprecation uh, are the most important parts because, you know, I think it, uh, I, I don't want to get into what it says about you if you're self-deprecating, but I think that's a quality that's good for radio. And I also think honesty is, is a good quality for radio. And I think Babchick and, and Evan in the morning do a tremendous job of that, you know, I, I think if Patrick was trying to make stuff up or make himself sound uh, you know, better than he was, I think he'd have an issue. He's just going out there and being completely honest with people and saying what's on his mind. And I think that tends to, to give people the best radio is just go on there, talk about your life, talk about how you are, who you are. I always tell people that I'll lie to your face. I tell my folks all the time, this. I say, I'll lie to your face. Uh, but if you really want to know what I'm about and what I'm doing on my weekends or what I'm doing at night, uh, you tune into the radio because I'm going to tell you there, I will never lie over the airwaves because I think it just makes for, for too good a radio when you, when you tell the truth. Well, in dealing with Babchik's honesty, he provided an honest question for this show, and he wanted me to ask you about the time that he ended up getting kicked out of a strip club, and it was your fault that he got kicked out. Well, we went out as a, a group gathering for one of the former uh, hosts at the station uh, at Mad Dog Radio. We all went out after a program, uh, and we were going to go out with some listeners as well, and one just 
eventually creeped up on us and actually found us, found us, which was weird. He like stalked us outside and we ended up, he ended up giving me a ride home in a nondescript van. So that was a mistake. Uh, but back to Batchick getting kicked out as we went out to this establishment. Uh, we're having a couple of drinks. Batchick decides to, uh, get some saliva here and spit it in the direction of some of the young ladies. Uh, that didn't go over well. I ended up following suit, although I, I didn't actually hit anybody with it. I was just trying to give him some support. They ended up trying to throw both of us out. I am saved uh, by some of our coworkers who said I didn't do anything wrong. That chick is not saved and rightfully kicked out of the establishment because that is just uh, you know decrepit behavior uh, to, to spit in the direction of, of anybody, especially a young lady who is, who is trying to work on her craft. Probably was not the first time, and I'm sure will not be the last. So just another story to tell for Mike Babchick's escapades to places And like by that. the way, that, that is something that he does daily and, you know, at least weekly, goes out to establishments like that. That is a very rare occasion for me. I was going out just to celebrate uh, with some other coworkers. I had to be dragged in there. Uh, so that is not something that uh, that uh, I, I am accustomed to doing, just in case mom and dad are listening. Right. It was a work event, a work party to work send event. this gentleman exactly. out. No problem with that. J.P. Wilson, 1982, also wanted to know when dealing with the morning men, Evan Cohen being the other co-host, vast knowledge of the NBA. He often has five minutes of terrible NBA discussion every show. He was interested how you would rate his acumen of basketball on a scale of one to ten. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's good enough to be on NBA radio. So that would be a, that would be close to a ten because uh, you know Evan and I have conversations about that all the time, and I know he wants to fool around and keep it within the the format of the show, but he always gets in a couple of serious questions about the NBA, and really they find a fun way to ask me real questions about the NBA, and that's why Evan's having me on. Is one to mock me, obviously, but two is to to get some real information. And Evan and I will go back and forth after a big Heat win or around the trade deadline, and always exchange ideas. Uh, so Evan's very impressive on, hey, you know, and that shows you know his ability because he show he used to host the show with Steve Phillips a little bit more serious. Now he's hosting this one with Batchet, which many would call uh, gutter material that they do. But he's also capable of doing the the NBA show, the specialty show. Uh, so Evan's got a wide variety of, of radio skills, and he was instrumental in uh, in, in helping me uh, climb up the ladder of serious as well. But he definitely uh, definitely a guy that's good enough to be on NBA radio. If that's uh, if it ever goes under with Patrick, he gets arrested and put behind bars for a couple of years and Evan needs a different program, a different show, a different station. I think he can come over and work for us at NBA Radio. Well, I could also ask the question that he submitted without the mockery that might go with it if you were on The Morning Man. He wanted to know, outside of San Antonio, the best run franchise in the NBA is who and why they are. And, and that's Evan's question. Right, so it's a little weighted yeah, uh, in how course. he wants to answer. I mean, to say is he wants me to say the Miami Heat. Yes. Yeah, and and they're definitely within the uh, they're definitely in the conversation. I I actually have four teams that are in the conversation. Uh, one is the San Antonio Spurs, who he mentioned. Two are the Miami Heat. Uh, three are the uh, Golden State Warriors, and, and four is the New York. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, four would be the Boston Celtics. I think all of those organizations are are run perfectly, and I, I deal with them as well. And you can see why certain organizations are 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 so well organized and run. I mean, San, uh, Golden State. Nobody from top there. Their GM Bob Myers stares you in the eye. Uh, calls you by your name when he's holding a conversation with you. Steve Kerr is the same way. They're players, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. They're the best group of stars in the NBA. Raymond Ritter is the head of their PR. He's the best guy to deal with as far as PR is concerned. So Rick Welts, who's their president, top to bottom, they are just run perfectly, and, and everybody is the class act. Uh, and then you have these other organizations where I think there's just a clear uh, there's a clear chain of power. Pat Riley is in charge in Miami. R.C. Buford Popovich are in charge in San Antonio. Danny Ainge is in charge uh, in Boston, uh, and I think that helps with the culture. Is you know who's responsible, they set a tone, and it trickles down throughout the organization. So I would say those are the four best organizations in regards to how they're run: uh, Miami, San Antonio, Golden State, and Boston, in no particular order. He'll be happy to hear that. We also did get a real submitted NBA question from Packers fan in Texas with LaMarcus Aldridge's heart condition recently coming to light again, having to deal with that in San Antonio. 
can the Spurs continue to be a threat down the stretch if that does end up posing a problem to his playing time? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they need him, but like we saw last night, they were able to beat, or the other night, they were able to beat Golden State, even without him, granted Golden State, set everybody down. And that's one of the reasons why they're the best organization. It's because of structure. They beat Sacramento the other day. They were down by 28 points. They came all the way back because of the culture they've created, because of the system that they're within. Uh, and it helps to have great players. It helps to have Kawhi Leonard. It helps to have Marcus Aldridge uh, in, in order to execute that system because those guys are so talented and, uh, you know, and they're, they're all-stars, perhaps future Hall of Famers, uh, but even without them, they'll be good enough to get through the regular season. Maybe they can even challenge Golden State here for the uh, for the number one seed in the Western Conference. Aldridge, last time he had this condition, I think he was out two weeks, uh, so they'd be fortunate to get him back by then, uh, and they won't miss a beat. But the problem becomes when they get to the postseason, if they don't have LaMarcus Aldridge, they don't have Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to, you know, they'll have Kawhi, but if they don't have LaMarcus, uh, that'll be a huge problem. They're not going to be able to advance too far because the Western Conference is so talented. Utah's a very good team that I think goes under the radar a little bit. Houston can score with some of the best teams in the history of the league, although they need to improve their defense. Durant should be back by that time. So they'll need Aldridge for the postseason. Regular season, it's not going to be too much of an issue. They could get away with it a little bit maybe if they were in the Eastern Conference, which is much weaker. You can't do that in the Western Conference. So they definitely need Aldridge back. Well, I'll definitely have to have you back to like actually talk NBA at some point, just Based off that answer, people are going to clamor to want more. Before I get you out of here, I did want to bring up probably the two things that people will find if they were to type in your name on the Google and maybe look for a passionate rant. And the first one would be when Kevin Durant made the move to leave Oklahoma City and go to Golden State, joining the team that had just knocked them out of the Western Conference playoffs to form this quote-unquote super team that's now a word that's been thrown around with what LeBron's done in Cleveland now in Golden yeah. State and you are not a fan of the move please explain yeah I mean I think it's disgusting to leave he had the ability to leave there were a couple of teams you couldn't go to from Oklahoma City, you can't go to Cleveland and join up with LeBron James because you're going to be compared to him throughout the course of history. That's like Jordan, and that's like Bird and Magic on there. So you can't do that. That was off limits. You've got to beat LeBron. You can't join him. And then the second team was Golden State. They had just won 73 games, historic number the season before, and they just beat you when you had a 3-1 series lead. Uh, so you can't go there. And the championship rings that he's sure to win are something that's not going to carry the weight. But think about what Dirk did back in 2011. Dirk went through the ups. He went through the downs. They lost in the NBA Finals in 2006, 2007. They lost in the first round despite 67 wins. He hit his head against the wall. He kept going. That championship means something. Isaiah Thomas, they get turned back by the Celtics uh, in 87. They come back in 88. They get beat by the Lakers. They come back the following year. He stays there. Same core, wins a championship in 89, wins one in 90. Those championships mean something because they fought through adversity in order to win them. Durant leaves here in order to tag up for a ring. I'm not counting that ring and putting as much weight onto that ring as I am onto the rings of guys like Isaiah and Dirk, etc. It's the same thing with LeBron's rings. You go down to Miami, you get the ring down there. Does that mean anything? Does that have any, you know, what does that exactly mean? To me, it's it's hollow. Uh, so I got a major issue with it. It's sort of what Ray Allen did to a, but to a bigger degree, what Durant did because of where he was in his career and the fact that he had never won. Ray Allen was up 3-2 in a series against Miami, there was a hatred between those two teams. There was a big-time dislike. In fact, that might be the, the most recent rivalry we've seen where there's actually been bad blood because of the Durant, uh, the Garnett scenario and Rondo and Wade and LeBron. There was some genuine dislike between those two organizations. You Paul, Pat Riley, and Danny Ainge went at it a couple of times through the media as well. And he leaves not only Boston, but, you know, you could leave again. He could leave Boston if he wants. You can't go to Miami who the year before had just won a championship, he leaves to go to the big rod. Now, you can't do that, and it's very similar to what Durant did, except Durant did it in the prime of his career without having won a championship before, uh, and it was a 3-1 series lead that his team blew. Uh, I don't like it at all. It, it speaks to a lack of uh, – not that Durant's a bad guy, but this speaks to a lack of competitive uh, and basketball integrity, and it's something that he's got to be held accountable for, and I'm going to feel those passions about this. 50 years from now, if I'm writing a book or if I'm if I'm still hosting on NBA radio and I'm explaining the legacy of Kevin Durant to somebody, this is definitely going to be a major line within that legacy's tr uh, transcript. 
And we'll have to think that the next chapter of that book would be regarding what's become a major trend in the league now, and that's with resting star players early in the season in games maybe deemed that don't matter. We just saw it happen with Golden State the other night where they pretty much rested all of their starters with Durant out. It even made it worse. What are your thoughts about teams getting into a trend of doing this? Greg Popovich, I guess you could argue, would be the person that really kick this off where he didn't care about his players playing at home in front of paying fans on the road whenever he felt like there needed to be rest he would do it and you couldn't really fault him just because of what he's done resume wise but now it's almost become a league ride trend and I don't believe you're too happy about that either no I'm not and even when Duncan was back in the prime of his career 28 29 years of age he was playing 81 82 games he was playing over 30 minutes a night I mean that's what he did when he won the MVP but now now he's taken it to a new level where you got Kawhi Leonard sitting games at the age of 25 which is disgusting what Steve Kerr did the other day and I understand the schedule was difficult in sitting his guys for maybe the most anticipated game uh, in the sport this year against San Antonio on ABC on national television where you've got people that are making special trips in to go see that game the big one on the docket uh, you've got uh, ABC who's paying billions and billions of dollars for the rights for these games, uh, and that's how they're treated as, as the partners there. I think that's disgusting. You've got guys like Carl Malone, who in the first 19 years of his career uh, played 40 minutes a night and missed 10 entire games. 10! 10 entire games, and he's able to do it. And nowadays, you've got 25-year-old, uh, you know, Clay Thompson, or 26-year-old Clay Thompson sitting out. You've got 28, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, Clay, uh, Steph Curry sitting out. You've got Kawhi Leonard at age 25, resting, and not just resting, resting for big games. I mean, it's an embarrassment. Guys like Malone and Bird and MJ built this league off playing every single night, having pride in going out there. And I, when I when I say a guy's missing a game because of rest, I don't say it's because of rest. I say it's because of a lack of pride because that's what it is. And I'm not comparing my job to theirs, but I haven't missed a day in, in my career yet. A couple of weeks ago, I got sick for three weeks, three consecutive weeks after the All-Star game. I was throwing up. I was you know, regurgitating my lunch an hour before I was to go on air. And it's not the first time I've ever done it. And I jumped on air and I hosted a three-hour show because I signed up to that. And I take some sort of pride in the fact that I show up for work every day. And then I got to see a guy who's making millions and millions of dollars not show up for work. What LeBron did earlier this year where he didn't even take the flight down to Memphis. He didn't even take the flight and sit on the bench down in Memphis. I mean, that's garbage. Uh, and you hear stories from playing with guys years ago. Uh, you know, the guys years ago where they had travel, where they were playing three games in a row. Imagine that. Right now they complain about back-to-back. Back in the day, the 1960s, they're playing three games in a row. They're playing, not, never mind, four and five nights. They're playing five games in six nights. Yet they're going out there every day. They're not complaining. And what you hear when you read all these articles, I see all these articles. Tom Havistro is a big guy on ESPN.com, and I go back and forth with him on this all the time. Uh, is he, he just writes all these articles, and he cites doctors, and he cites uh, you know, he cites quotes from different scientists, etc. What they don't do is they don't cite any quotes from guys who actually did it. Guys like John Havlicek popped out of the air with me at one point and said, and he was very careful to make sure that he didn't want to criticize anybody. And he said, I, you know, I, I really love the modern player, but here's the one thing I have to say is if you're in shape, you should be able to play 48 straight minutes, 48 straight minutes, and then do it again immediately afterwards. You should be able to play a double header. Uh, back-to-back the entire game. I mean, here's a guy that played every single minute of the 1969 NBA Finals. Every single minute. Uh, and if Havlicek didn't stand in the corner. He probably ran more than any player in the history of the sport. And he's got Jerry West tailing him. You look at Bill Russell in that same Finals at the age of 34, his final year. Bill Russell's final year, 1969, at the age of 34, after he had just got done playing uh, in... Uh, 11 finals over the course of 12 years. This was the 11th time that he was playing, 12th time he was playing in 13 years. 12th final in 13 years. He ended up winning 11. He played every single minute of the 1969 NBA Finals before he retired. If those guys can go out there every single night and bust their butt and play like that, and athletes are supposed to be better today than they were back then, uh, then, then they, these guys should be out there every single night. I don't want to hear any excuses. And the thing that makes you sick is they almost wear it as a badge of honor. You know, I'm good enough to rest. I'm so good that I can rest. I can take the day off. I think it's disgusting. I think it's a trend that's been started by Greg Popovich. It's something that's carried over by the league's best player in LeBron James. If LeBron took pride in going out there every single night, I think other players would follow suit. You still do have 
exceptions, and it's the reason that I think it also separates these guys from Kawhi and LeBron in the MVP voting, is Russell Westbrook has yet to miss a game this year. James Harden has missed one game over the last three years. Those guys take the pride in going out there every single night, something I recognize, and I factor it in when I'm talking MVP. That is the type of passion people can expect to hear if they go to NBA Radio Monday through Friday, NBA Today on Sirius XM, 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Since it's Selection Sunday, I guess I should get out of here with one question. Is there a favorite that you have in mind that could win this tournament, since you will be helping a couple people fill out their brackets as well? Yeah, I don't care who who wins as long as it's not Duke. So I will not be picking Duke to win the national championship. That's that's one of those things you talk about passion that's dated back for as long as I can remember. Leitner hitting that shot against Kentucky. Uh, I was a big Patino fan at that point. Jamal Mashburn fan. He hit that shot. It was devastating. Uh, and they just always, always, always hated Duke. So despite the fact I got a couple of buddies now that uh, played for Duke, Allah Abdelnabi specifically, I cannot, uh, you know, I cannot root for Allah. I cannot root for Duke. Uh, so whoever's playing Duke is who I'm picking away. Well, as I look around my makeshift studio at the Duke posters I have from the national championships that they won in my lifetime, I'm going to have to have Uh-oh. you on just to talk about that and get riled up over Duke basketball. But for another time, will you be coming to Falcon 2017 on June 3rd? How about that? Maybe some of the fouls. Well, I, I don't think that date in. works very well, and I'm going to have to speak to Batrick about why it was planned on that day because that's the opening week of the NBA Finals. So I'll most likely be on location at the NBA Finals. So I would anticipate you're probably not going to see me out at Falcon. I'm not pleased about it because I was looking forward to seeing everybody out there. Yeah, since the Knicks aren't going to be making the trip, I don't think we could have have a garden game for you to maybe get a chance to do both at once but maybe we can shoot you some texts i'm sure babchick will be throwing money down on the game so we could be in contact that way yeah maybe maybe falcon 2030 uh you know we can we can have it correlate with the next championship run but i don't see it happening anytime soon fingers crossed it lasts that long as well Justin, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was a pleasure getting to know about how you've gotten to this state now with NBA radio and some of the trials and tribulations to get there and different insights about the game that is going to be getting a little bit more popular in the upcoming months. As you know, you'll have your work cut out for you then, but thanks so much for some time. As I said, hopefully we can catch up down the road and actually talk about what's going on in the league, but it was a pleasure just to get a little bit more information about what you've been doing sort of behind the scenes with your show as well. So continued success, stay healthy, and like I said, hopefully uh, we'll have a good tournament, NCAA tournament, kind of kickstart everything off, and, and we could talk a little bit more down the road as well. Absolutely. I most enjoy talking about this more than the NBA, so we'll definitely do it again at some point. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll break down the bracket after the first slew of games of the NCAA tournament and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.